because Christ has risen from the dead, we can have this gathering today. Easter is big. The resurrection of Christ is big. It's huge. It is the single most important event in history. So uh, I tell you, today is, is uh, a great day because it's the day that God has made. It's, it's, we got to rejoice in it and be glad in it and say thank you, Jesus, that we can be alive today. Uh, I want you to open up your Bibles and turn to a passage that isn't going to be known as one of those uh, classic Easter passages, but go to Romans chapter 5, and when you find that, if you're able, please stand with me to read God's Word. We like to stand to read God's word here to show our honor and respect for God and also to say, you know what, this is God's word that we're going to hear. Not man's word, it's God's word. We're going to read Romans 5, verses 10 and 11. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, Shall we be saved by his life? More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your word. And Lord, we thank you that you are are here with us. And thank you that we have this privilege to be alive today and to be able to to go to church and to be able to, on Easter Sunday, to be able to, to praise you for your grace. Lord, we thank you for this time. We thank you for your word. We pray, Lord, that, that you would, would have your way with us, Lord, that, that as we focus on this single most important event of all history and focused on even the, the picture of the finished work of Christ, his death, his burial, his resurrection, and his promised return. We pray, Lord, that you would strengthen our faith, Lord, that you would grow us, and that you, Lord, would, would lead us and guide us in, in all our ways. And we commit this time to you in Christ's name. Amen. The resurrection of Jesus Christ, the single most important event of all of history. It is of absolute importance and it makes all the difference in the world. The finished work of Christ, his death, his burial, his resurrection, and his promised return are of first importance, as Paul put it. You know, sometimes we have trouble expressing ourselves, especially verbally. I know I do, and I'll make up the lame joke. I'll say, well, I have a hole in my mouth. That's why I stumbled over my words. And uh, you don't have to laugh. You're not laughing. Um, we have trouble communicating sometimes. We don't get the point across. We, we get tongue-tied. We, we, uh, we stumble over our words. We, we might even stammer. We use the wrong words. But communication is never a problem with God. Communication is something God always gets right And God has communicated to us through his word, and he is very clear about that communication. Good communicators are hard to come by. In sports, good announcers are hard to come by. Uh, But they are a powerful voice, especially on the radio, because they give words life. They, They spin word pictures of what is happening, what is going on. 
When I think of uh, announcers, uh, great announcers, I always think of Chick Hearn, that great Laker announcer for so many years. And he had this saying. Here's what he would say when the Lakers were playing and the game was pretty much over because they were going to win. He would say, this game is in the refrigerator. Often he would say this game is in the Admiral refrigerator, which I believe was a product placement plug. This game is in the refrigerator. The doors are closed. The door is closed. The lights are out. The eggs are cooling. The butter's getting hard and the jello is jiggling. He would say that, and I loved it because whenever Chick closed the fridge, the game was over. Most of the time. Chick was not perfect, and there were a few times he had to open the fridge back up. He closed it too soon. A few times they actually lost the game, and he had closed the fridge. The resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead is God saying, the fridge is closed on Satan. The fridge is closed. The game is over. The resurrection of Christ, so clearly communicated in Scripture, is the decisive event of all history. God has communicated it so well and so clearly. He announced it in the Gospels. At the beginning of the service, we read Matthew chapter 28. But go with me to Luke chapter 24. Luke 24, a parallel account of the same situation from a different uh, point of view, a different writer, a, different, a few uh, details and nuances that are different. Luke chapter 24, beginning at verse 1. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. When they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. No surprise there. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men appeared in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but he is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee. You see, Jesus over and over again told his disciples, I am going to die and be buried and rise again on the third day. Jesus predicted it before it happened, just like the Old Testament prophets did. So he said, why are you looking for the living among the dead? Remember how he told you that the Son of Man, verse 7, might, must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale. First Easter. First Easter morning. Apostles of Christ. And they thought that they were being sold a bill of goods. It seemed to them an idle tale that Jesus would rise from the dead. These words seemed to them an idle tale and they did not believe them. First Easter morning, the disciples did not believe. There was another tune playing in their head. 
They weren't believing the scriptures. But Peter, verse 12, rose and ran to the tomb. Stooping and looking in, he saw the linen cloths by themselves and he went home marveling at what had happened. You know, in the book of Acts, the apostles preached and they preached boldly and they preached the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They prayed to Jesus, the resurrected Christ. They trusted in Jesus as alive and reigning in heaven. On the, on the day of Pentecost, Peter stands up, Acts chapter 2. And he preaches. And he says in verse 22, Acts 2, verse 22. Hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, he's speaking to people who witnessed Christ's miracles. This Jesus, he said, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. This is, by the way, the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. This is Jesus whom God planned to send to earth. God the Son being sent to earth by God the Father to accomplish the mission of dying for sinners. And rising from the dead. This Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Verse 24, God raised him up. You don't get clearer than that. That's clear communication from God. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. You look through the New Testament, and you look through the New Testament epistles and letters, and what you see, what you'll find, is an absolute dependence on the, ris- the resurrected Christ, the risen Lord Jesus Christ, a living Savior who is the head of his church. You look in the, the New Testament letters, and you see a trust in Jesus that this resurre- ris- the risen resurrected Christ is to be trusted is to be worshipped is to be obeyed and he will return in power and glory that's the picture of Jesus you get in the epistles you go to the, the last book of the Bible the, the book of Revelation and that book is permeated with the risen Christ reigning in heaven and soon to return come Lord Jesus we read but the life the death the resurrection and the promised return of Christ speaks volumes it is the clearest the loudest the most sure voice imaginable and everything hinges on the finished work of Christ everything hinges on the resurrection the resurrection is of absolute importance and it makes all the difference in 1 Corinthians Paul said no resurrection no forgiveness no resurrection, no hope. If, a Christ, if, if Christ has not been raised, Paul said, we are of all people most to be pitied. No resurrection, no salvation. No resurrection, no life in Christ. But we know from Scripture, very clearly communicated by God, that Christ was raised from the dead. And that makes all the difference. Christ has been risen, therefore all who believe have hope. God's amazing love in Christ is what brings about 
a believer's present hope-filled condition. Because of the amazing love of God in Christ, the resurrection of Jesus Christ saves believers permanently. The resurrected life of Christ saves believers permanently. What I want you to see today, this Easter morning, 2012, what I want you to go out these, these, those doors this morning, on this Easter morning, is to see that God gives believers security and assurance and freedom by his life so that we would serve his purposes. And by the way, that leads us to our primary passage for today, Romans 5, verses 10 and 11. Let's go there. Romans 5, and we'll begin at verse 10. In the context of God explaining how a person gets right with God, Paul highlighting how someone could come to faith in Christ and therefore have a right relationship with God. What we see here is a bit of a summary in Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5, 1 says, Since we have been justified by faith. It is speaking to believers about believers. It says, Since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. There is a standing, there is a firmness of their relationship with God, so therefore they can rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but rejoice in tribulation, in hardship, in struggle. Knowing that God is at work. Knowing that God is is producing something through those things, like endurance and character and hope. It says here that God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. That's about believers to believers. And then you see in verse verse 6, it tells us that while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. You see in verse 8 that God demonstrates his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And then in verse 10, It says that we were enemies. That while we were enemies, if, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. The death of Christ reconciles us to God. If that has happened, then how much more shall we be saved by his life? What does this have to do with the resurrection? Everything. What life are we talking about here? Christ's life on earth before the cross? No. When it says we will be saved by his life, that's his resurrected life. Which God brought about through his resurrection power. Much more shall we be saved by his life. And by the way, in that life, he, he lives and he ever lives to make what? Intercession for believers. He's praying for us even as we speak. Verse 11, it it, it says, but there's more. More than that, we also rejoice in God. We glory in God through our Lord Jesus Christ in this ongoing relationship with Christ, with the life of Christ saving us. They've looked at this past fact of the cross, looking towards the future, and we'll be with him forever. It's good news. 
It's gospel news, it's resurrection news. The idea in these verses is that Christ's resurrection life saves believers permanently and gives them security and assurance and freedom. Security, assurance, and freedom. How are we saved by by Christ's life? We are saved eternally. We are saved forever. We are saved permanently by Christ's life. He rose from the dead. He didn't stay in the grave. He ever lives to make intercession for us. He is coming back. So we have security in Him. We are safe in Him. We are kept by Him forever when we come to faith in Christ. And we are, we are receiving then assurance of that security. You know, you, have, you might have an a alarm on your house and on your car, but the security that we have in Christ goes beyond any lock you can put on anything. Safe forever. Whoever comes to me, Christ says, I will never cast out. Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age, he says to his followers. There is security, there is assurance. Knowing this truth gives us ample assurance that we are children of God, as the Holy Spirit tells us even in our hearts when we're a believer, that we belong to God. And what results out of that security and that assurance is freedom to serve God, to serve His purposes in our generation. As Galatians 5.1 says, don't go back to a yoke of slavery leading to fear again. It was for freedom that Christ set you free. Walk in freedom. Freedom to serve. What results from this amazing love of God poured out in the hearts of believers through the resurrection of Christ, being saved by His life, The idea, by the way, of being saved by Christ's life is that he saves you from the power and the penalty of sin and he will keep you saved. He will keep you saved and bring you all the way through eternity. When you leave this earth or when Christ returns, whichever comes first, you will be saved from the presence of sin. He saves you from the power and penalty of sin, but then one day you will be saved from the presence of sin. We are all struggling with that right now. Not, not having that, that, that full experience of the salvation we've been given yet because we're still here on earth. And so we struggle with sinful tendencies. We struggle with sinful habits. We struggle with sinful patterns in our life that messes us up. It's like Paul says, you know, the very thing I want to do, I don't do. The very thing I don't want to do, I do. Wretched man that I am, he says. Who will set me free? Christ. Christ. And only Christ. There are results of this amazing love operating in Christ. What happens because of God's amazing love in Christ? When you, when you come to faith in Christ, what happens? Well, Christ's finished work makes, makes certain things a reality in your life. If you look at verse 10, Romans 5.10, it says, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son. We become reconciled worshipers. Before we came to know Christ, we were worshiping Satan. We were worshiping ourselves. We were worshiping anything that moved or didn't move, but not Jesus. And when we come to faith in Christ, God makes you, when you come to faith in Christ, God makes you a reconciled worshiper. You were His enemy, and now you're His friend. 
You didn't make nice with God. He went after you. You were his enemy. Now you're his friend by faith in Christ because God took the initiative and came your way. God took the initiative and sent Christ to earth to die for sin, to save sinners. You're a reconciled worshiper in Christ. God the Father is seeking people to worship Him in spirit and in truth. And when you come to faith in Christ, you are now worshiping the one true God. You are now reconciled to God. What else happens? Look at the the second part of verse 10. If while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more now, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life, his resurrection life. So what, do we, what happens in our life? We become a rescued child. We're now a child of the king, and we've been rescued from the prison of sin. We've been redeemed. We've been saved. We're not just reconciled worshipers. We're rescued children, dependent, bankrupt apart from Christ. And all that can produce in us is humility and thankfulness and gratefulness at what God has done. It could never bring about pride. It produces humility at God's grace. And then verse 11, much more than that. It's even getting better. We also rejoice. We glory in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, through, through him we have now received reconciliation. This right standing with God based on the, the finished work of Christ and faith in that work. So we become uh, rejoicers. We become rejoicing messengers because God has given us the ministry of reconciliation. The very ministry that affected us, now we get to go and be used by God to affect others. A tool in the master's hand, a, an instrument in God's hands. We're free, so now we can rejoice. And because we can rejoice, now we can freely share the message. God enabling us, God empowering us, unhindered to worship Him and to fellowship with Himself and other believers and then to serve Him out of that gratefulness that we have because of His grace. The idea is in Christ you are changed. If anyone is in Christ, 2 Corinthians 5.17 says you, they are a new creature the old things have passed away new things have come you've been changed in christ if you believe in christ if you belong to christ you have been changed and not only that you are being changed god is at work in you to will and do his good pleasure you take one step forward and two steps back into sin and god continues to change you because he doesn't let you go praise god that you are secure in christ that nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. These are words to believe. Well, it's Easter morning. It's a great day. Everybody's looking good. They got their best clothes on. Some people have a new ringtone. They bring in their things to church. You bring goodies and snacks and you can have a a brunch. But why don't we talk, why don't we get down to brass tacks? Why don't we get down to the nitty gritty? So you're going to walk out these doors. 
You're going to walk out these doors and go eat lunch or brunch. What are you going to take with you? If you're in Christ, you have become a reconciled worshiper and you're a rescued child. You're a rejoicing messenger. That's your identity. There's your job description. What are you going to do when you walk out those two doors? Or four, as it may be. What are you going to do? See, here's the idea. We've seen what the Bible says about Jesus. Now, what are you going to do about it? We've seen what the Bible says. Now, here's what you should do about it. We want to know that answer, don't we? We don't want to just hear something great about Jesus, right? We want to know, well, how does this affect my life? There's some next steps here. And it's, it's all about the life of Christ in believers. It's all about how Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ, what? Lives in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. If that is true, and we know it is, then what happens? Well, the life of Christ in believers inspires something. It inspires by faith living. It inspires humble living. It inspires bold living. It inspires by faith, humble, bold living. Well, let's talk about that. That's our calling in Christ. The first thing I would mention about that is that you need to believe what you've heard fully. You need to believe what you read in the Bible fully. It's not a time for believers to say, well, I don't really know if the Bible is true or not. It is time to, for believers to presuppose the truth of Scripture as Jesus says, your word is truth. Take it at that and go with it and use it to bring glory to God. Believe it fully. That's what reconciled worshipers do. You're able to believe it fully. 1 Peter 1.3 says, that we have, if those who, who have come to faith in Christ have been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. You have been changed, you have a new life, and it's through the resurrection of Christ from the dead. So believe that and live. Or reject it and die. Believe it, be saved, deny it, be lost. Remain lost. Reject it and be judged. John 3.16 makes it really clear how much God loves us. John 3.16. You don't really even need to turn to it. You know it so well, but why don't you go there? It says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. But we don't teach our kids the next few verses after that. It says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already. Because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world. And people love the darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light. Lest his deeds should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his deeds have been carried out in God. You've got to believe it fully. You go to the end of the Gospel of John, chapter 20, verse 31. 
That whole gospel says these things have been written that you might believe. And believing have life in his name. Whose name? Christ's name. These things have been written that you might believe and have life in Christ's name. That's the life of a believer. The life of the believer is not to be a defeated life. The life of a believer is to be a victorious life. There is no doubt in my mind that some of you hearing these words today have major doubts. Major doubts in your mind. You're plagued with doubts. And you wonder, am I really saved or not? Have I really been forgiven of my sins? You wonder if God is really good or not because bad things are happening. You wonder if what God says could really be true because you see so many pointers that might seem to say no. The proof is Jesus Christ. The proof is Jesus Christ and him crucified, risen, and coming again. God sent him to die and live again so that we might believe him. He is the one who shows us the Father. He is the one that gives us new life. He is the one that gives us access to God. And what we need to do is recognize Jesus as the answer to our doubts and the salvation from our sins. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. And keep believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. Look, I I understand. I understand it is a struggle to believe. I think that's why we, we need to force feed ourselves biblical truth. I think that's why we need a a truth IV plugged into our arm 24-7. I think we need to wheel around our drip, Bible drip. Because we need it every moment of every day because our mind plays tricks on it. Don't believe everything you, you think. Believe everything you read in the Word of God. Love the truth. Believe it fully. See, we find the disciples didn't even fully believe the truth on Easter Even after the resurrection? Luke 24 again. Let's go back. Got to go back. Luke 24. So they didn't believe. They thought it was an idle, an idle story, an idle myth. and uh, They thought it was an idle tale that Jesus would rise from the dead. So we find the disciples not recognizing the truth. And the reason, according to Jesus, is they did not know the Word of God. They did not know the Scriptures. Look at, look at uh, chapter uh, 24 and, and start at verse, at verse 13. That, that very day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. And while they were talking and discussing with each other, Jesus himself came up to them. Here's Jesus. He's got got nail holes in his hands. Fresh out of the grave. And it says that their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And so he says to them, what is this conversation you are holding with each other as you walk? What you talking about? They stood still looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, And they correct Jesus. Are you the only person in Jerusalem who doesn't know what's going on?
Don't you know the things that have happened in these, in these days? He says to them, what things? You think Jesus was maybe smiling on the inside a little bit here? Got a nail holes in his hands, in his feet, and a pierced side. And, and they, they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth. Hello, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. We had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it's now the third day since these things happened. Time's just passing on by. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early this morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying, that they even saw a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Now remember, they weren't believing these things. They said, some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. Hmm. Verse 25. Here's what Jesus said to them. Oh, probably with all the love in the world, oh, foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And get this, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Spurgeon once said, Brethren, a want of familiarity with the Word of God is very often the seed plot of our doubts. Let me translate. You don't know the Word of God, you're probably going to doubt. He said, Half our fears arise from neglect of the Bible. Christians need to believe the Bible. Half your doubts will fade away. Any other implications here? Any other next steps besides believing it fully? Yes. How about live it humbly? Christ's life in believers inspires humble living. Live it humbly. That's what rescued, saved, redeemed children do. They're, they're humble. They know they don't have anything. And they're, they're, they're saved from sin's penalty. Free, to sin, not, free not to sin anymore. Saved from the power and penalty of sin, having the hope of one day being saved from the presence of sin. See, the message of Jesus is one of hope. The message of Jesus is one not of despair, but of hope-filled living. Sure, we are bent, we are broken, we are bruised, sinful people who cannot fix ourselves. No amount of trying hard will do it. No amount of trying hard to be good will do it. Our only hope is to follow the one who already completed it, the Lord Jesus Christ. A friend of mine went to Jerusalem once, and he was there uh, right before Palm Sunday. And he was walking along the Via Dolorosa, where, where Jesus carried the cross to Golgotha. And he saw a sight that, that was surprising to him, but I think passerbyers, they see it all the time, so they, no one was really paying attention. A man crawling on his hands and knees. 
his, his elbows, his knees scraped and bloodied, his stomach gashed and bloodied, and he's crawling along this, this road. No doubt he was in pain, uh, uh, walking and crawling along on stones that obviously weren't as smooth as they looked. And, and his family and his friends were cheering him on. And this, this friend of mine followed for a while, watching him pursue his quest. He, doesn't, he didn't know if he finished or not, but he, he, he just moved on. But he thought about this guy, and he thought, did this guy understand anything about the grace of God? You know, we think that it may, we, maybe we wouldn't crawl a, a cobblestone road and get ourselves gashed and bloodied up, but we try so hard, so hard to be our own savior. We try so hard to free ourselves from our own sin. We try so hard to look so good that maybe we might earn our way to God. We can never be our own savior. We can never be our own Lord. And we struggle with sin. Every one of us is struggling with sin. Some of it blatant, some of it hidden, but sin. And, and we hear of disastrous falls. We take disastrous falls and, and we grieve. We grieve over our own sin. We grieve over the sin of others. So what difference does it make that Jesus Christ rose from the dead and lives and is returning? What difference does that make? So you go to the doctor and the doctor tells you you have cancer. You need to know that that that, that, that the same God who predicted and planned the death of Christ and the resurrection of Christ has you in his hands as well. You're falling prey to sin that is just plaguing your, the dog in your life and it's, it's bringing you down and you need to know that the God of the ages planned a way for that sin to be paid for at the cross. He planned a sacrifice that was sufficient to cover over your sin. That sin that horrifies you at one moment and tempts you at the same moment. When you read in God's word of the necessity of staying married in a marriage that you, don't, that you want out of, well, you can take confidence in those commands because you know how God keeps his word. And when you pray and it seems like it's falling on deaf ears, you can boldly pray. You can boldly come to God's throne of grace and pray according to God's gracious promises because you know that His will can't be broken and will be fulfilled in the exact detail in which He decrees it. You can take confidence in, in, in God who keeps His promises. When your friends and your family and your coworkers break their promises to you, you can turn to the one whose promises over thousands of years remain faithful. Simply believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and his finished work and trust him. He gives you power to live. Paul prays in Ephesians that they would, they would know God's power. Ephesians 1, verses 19 and 20. What is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead 
and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. And set your mind on the things of God, the things above, not on the things that are on earth. So that Colossians 3 tells us when Christ, who is our life, is revealed, we also will be revealed with him in glory, secure, assured. You know, in Christ you have the the ability to say no to sin. You can consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God through Christ. Humble living by the grace of God. One more. One more. Look at verse 11, uh, Romans 5.11. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. So we can proclaim the truth boldly. We can live boldly. We can, we can be those rejoicing messengers in a very bold way, knowing that we're standing on the solid rock of Christ and His Word. Look at that little word in, in Romans 5.11. We also rejoice in God. Some translations put it, we, we glory in God. Other translations say we boast in God. That, that word means to boast. Now, we all know that we're not supposed to boast. Boasting's bad when you're talking about yourself or about your favorite team or, or you're doing it in a prideful way. But you, you, we're not to be boastful. We're not to be challenging one another. But here, we are to boast in the Lord. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 1. He who boasts... Let him boast in the Lord. You, when you boast good, great things about God, you're the biggest boast you could make about God that is good is backed up in Scripture even more than you can say it. Proclaim it boldly. You make big claims about Jesus, you back it, it's, you got Scripture to back it up. Boasting in yourself, bad. Boasting in Jesus, good. You can say to people, you know, this is what the Bible says and here's what you need to do about it. You know, it's in our job description. The job description is it's written up. We're ambassadors for Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We've got a ministry of reconciliation. Love of Christ controls us, verse 14. We have concluded that this, that one died for all, therefore all died. He died for all that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Resurrection. And he has entrusted to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, verse 20, we are ambassadors for Christ. You got a job description if you're a believer. God making his appeal through us We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God. So where are you at with Jesus today? Where are you today in relation to Jesus? You might might have come here today and you told God, you know what, God, I haven't seen you come through, so you have one last chance. Either move in my life today or I'm not coming back. There are couples who are ready to throw in their towel on their marriages. There are students who are ready to stop living a life of purity. There are men and women and boys and girls who are just looking for hope and for answers. And I am here to tell you today, that hope, 
Those answers are found only in the Lord Jesus Christ and Him crucified, risen, and coming again. Believe. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you that in the cross, the death of Christ for ungodly enemy sinners happened. And in the resurrection, you are announcing good news of great joy for all people. That, that Christ, the Savior, the Savior Christ, the Lord, has accomplished what he came to earth to do. And so we are able to announce peace putting up a, a banner, a big, big banner that just says, God is love. The fridge is closed. The door is open to fellowship with God. Lord, may we, by your grace, dive deep in that amazing love. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.